Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. New Orleans is a city of distinctly different neighborhoods, 73 of them to be exact. We've got broad brushstroke boundaries like Uptown, Mid-City, Algiers, Within those, sometimes seemingly between them, we have areas with names like Black Pearl, Girt Town, Millenberg, and Desire. And if you want to get even more specifically local, you subscribe to the belief that no neighborhood is either good or bad. With the uniquely New Orleans explanation, it's block by block. Normally, we use this yardstick to describe residential blocks, but the same calculus applies to opening a bricks and mortar retail store. For example, one part of the French Quarter is very different from another. Katie Schmidt launched her fair trade sustainable clothing line, Passion Lily, in 2013. But it wasn't until nine years later in 2022 that she opened a French Quarter retail store on Charter Street, just a stone's throw away from Jackson Square. What made Katie choose that particular spot? We're gonna find out in just a minute. Katie Schmidt, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you to have me. Aaron Newsom opened his store, The Bike Shop, NOLA, on Ferret Street in 2011. Back then, Ferret Street and its surrounding neighborhoods were very different from the gentrified homes and restaurant and retail row that the area's turned into. As the neighborhood has changed, Aaron's clientele has changed with it. His customers started out as people with limited resources looking for a used bike or coming in to get their bike fixed. Now he also has folks looking to buy new bikes at a decent price. On top of that, in 2020, Aaron's business was the recipient of more unexpected good fortune. The COVID pandemic and lockdown happened, and suddenly it seemed like every person in America wanted a bike. Aaron's business is doing so well, he's been able to relocate to a bigger and better spot. Employing the New Orleans block-by-block calculus, the new location of the bike shop NOLA is a block or so up Fret Street near Louisiana's most stylish rouses. Aaron Newsom, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Katie, the fashion line of women's clothing that's described as fair trade, organic, and sustainable, sewn from your own designs with fabric you have made exclusively in India, doesn't sound like the kind of thing I would expect someone staggering around the French Quarter with a daiquiri to be looking for. I'm prepared for you to tell me that's a stereotypical cliche of who's shopping in the French Quarter and that your clients are very different from that. So let's start there. Who are the Passion Lily retail clients and why do you find them on Charter Street rather than, say, Magazine Street? Well, one thing we all know about New Orleans is it's really hot. And cotton is the best fabric to wear for hot weather. And so a lot of times you have tourists that come in and and even though they they think they packed well, they really have no idea. They are wearing polyester, they're wearing jeans, and they see these cute dresses. And so it's just a perfect match. It's it's an opportunity for them to purchase 
something that's designed in New Orleans and something that's functional for them. Aaron, let's talk about Ferret Street and what seems to be something between a miracle and a case study in economic development. You were one of the first of the new generation of businesses that transformed Ferret Street from a place where you could have gotten shot to a place where you can now get a cappuccino. The residential neighborhood around Ferret Street has changed markedly. Houses have been renovated and flipped on almost every block. There's even a hotel a couple of blocks away. Just a few years ago, it would have been unthinkable for tourists to stay around there. When you opened your bike store in 2011, did you see any of this coming? Did the developers of Fret Street sell you on the future of the street? Or has the transformation been organic and a bit surprising? Uh, it's definitely been surprising. Uh, <clears throat> we knew it was changing a little bit, starting to change. I used to live there years before that, so it was hard for me to see something drastic coming but um, I, I did like the area i thought it had a lot of potential um, especially seeing how oak street had changed and things like that um, but it definitely caught me by surprise for sure and uh, your clientele i would imagine uh, i guess it's, it's a lot of different people but would it be students yeah, I mean, mainly that's kind of the reason I like that area. There wasn't a shop in the in the vicinity of that area, um, and it's been it's close to campus. Years ago, there was a shop on that street that's kind of an old, famous New Orleans shop. He made it a long time, and that's why he was there was for the college kids. Now, Katie, you're the opposite end of fast fashion kind of disposable clothing. Uh, um, is there a big market for that? Has it become something uh, so large that people are interested in, in finding out? Uh, yeah, so when I started this 10 years ago, it was a smaller market for sure, um, but it was still a growing market and it has grown a huge amount in the last 10 years um, to the point that there is a lot of greenwashing in the industry, sure. especially with big brands. So now it becomes a matter as a small business of being as transparent as possible and, and honest and so that we're not a part of that greenwashing process. Um, luckily, we're an established brand, brand and our customers know our products and know our ethics, so that definitely helps. But it is a hugely growing audience. And I think especially with um, younger people in their 20s, they um, are looking to either purchase from slow fashion brands or purchase um, secondhand. And one thing I had never known about is organic cotton versus, what do you call the other side? Conventional cotton. Okay. Is, uh, and so you, all of yours is made with organic cotton? Um, almost all of it. So we're transitioning for everything to be organic cotton. We had some difficulties with our ecot fabrics of getting the organic yarns, but we finally have been able to source that. And so it's been a transition process. Aaron, you'll pardon the pun, but yours is kind of a cyclical business. Um, how do you handle that? You would just kind of take it day by day, month by month. Um, the bike business seems to, it's like a roller coaster. It's up and down. You got to prepare for it. And other than that, you just kind of got to live day by day with it. And, and I think one of the toughest parts in all that would be inventory, right? You need to... It's a lot of inventory. A lot of inventory. Um trying to see what sells, what doesn't, but definitely a lot of money invested just to be open every day, you know. Were you like a bike 
bike repair kid? Were you always good at this? No. Um, <clears throat> I grew up skateboarding, and I didn't actually get into bikes until later on in life, and got into just riding bikes for fun, fixing them for fun, building my own, buying used bikes, fixing them, selling them, and when now you've I, got this great business. Yep, it just happened. It's pretty, pretty terrific. <laughs> now, uh, we talked about the store down on, on Charter Street, but the bulk of your business is wholesale, right? Yes. And how does that work for you? Um, it's been great. I have um, a couple of, I sell different boutiques throughout the U.S., but then I have um, Pete First, for example, that I work with locally, and I've worked with them pretty much since I started my business, and they've been a great partner because they they promote my brand. They promote, you know, what we stand for. Um, so it's been a great way to distribute throughout the U.S. and not have to go to each city and open up a new store. And here in New Orleans, you're designing uh, the, the uh, clothing, uh, and then you just kind of bring that information to India. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So I'm I'm designing the actual pattern for the silhouette of the garment. And then I'm taking those patterns and I'm, I'm shipping them to India or during one of my visits, I'm taking them with me. And um, we go over the pattern and they, they make a sample based on my pattern. And then they'll either send that back or I'm in India and we make adjustments to the fit um, and keep moving forward. And then the fabrics themselves are either custom designs that I made or they're traditionally caught prints that I put in my color palette. And so there's a lot of coordinating back and forth with um, through WhatsApp and email with different prints and colors and um, the whole the whole process is a lot of communication. <laughs> and Aaron, you I think are coming to a very interesting stage of your business where you I think you're trying to decide whether to bring on someone else. Yeah, over the years we've had mechanics, um, and you know. Mechanics tend to come and go. It's just the nature of a bicycle mechanic. Um, but for the last few years, yes, I've been running it on my own. But getting to that point where it's time to get somebody in there, get the load off me a little bit. Now, Katie, you're doing something that really jumped out at me. You train folks uh, in India to be, I guess, seamstresses and things like that. And your hope is to do that here in New Orleans. Yeah, that's kind of a long-term goal. Um, so in the fashion industry um, in India, there's, there's, it's more male-dominated, and the women that are in it are not paid as well. And one of the reasons, there's a multiple of reasons, but one of the reasons is because they're not trained to do some of the higher-level tailoring skills. And so my idea was if we can train the women, then they can hopefully increase their salary. Um, and so we partner with another nonprofit and they do the training, we pay for their salary um, and it's a three month program. And then the stitching unit that we use, they lended their space for us to use. Um, and so they do three months of training and then from there they have the choice. They can either decide, you know, they can continue on with us or one of them, for example, she started her own business with the local Indian market um, or maybe that's just not right for them and they can go on and do something totally different as well. And Katie, how did you establish the whole system with these, uh, that town and the folks in India? I mean, you're, you're here in the U.S. and uh, do you just fly in and find people? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of relationship building. So I go to India 
I go to India once a year apart from the pandemic. And um, a lot of the contacts I've made have been, you know, it started out as research, um, working with other, um, through the World Fair Trade Organization, and then it was just a snowball effect of finding people. And, and like I say, I mean, the number one thing that I do is with, in terms of my, my relationship with my Indian partners is relationship building. Um, contracts mean nothing. Um, what's more important is the relationships. And Aaron, you sell bikes at a reasonable level. There's other bike stores in the city, but when I've gone in there, there was like really expensive, like racing bikes and all. What price can those things get to? I mean, the sky's the limit when it comes to the high-end specialized stuff. Um, it's really whatever you want to pay, you know. Um, but for your average cyclist, you don't need you don't need something like that, you know. I've always tried to keep it simple at the shop. Um, <clears throat> we try to stay in a certain price range um, to make it affordable for your everyday rider, you know. Um, something try to keep something for everybody. That way, if you're riding leisurely once a month, you don't have to spend a thousand bucks to get a bike. If you're wanting to ride every day, you can spend a little bit more and get a more, you know, reliable bicycle. Do you do the business where, I know at Tulane, for instance, we have a, at the end of the semester, they gather up all the bikes that nobody took with them and, uh, and they sell them and uh, I guess repair them a little bit. Are you in that side of the business? I used to be. We used to do a lot of used bikes, and yeah, I went to every auction, thrift store, y yard sale, flea market, from here to Kentucky to <laughs> Florida. But nowadays, that, that has became it's a lot of work for the used stuff. In this city, the amount of stolen bikes makes it a little difficult to weed through that kind of stuff. So. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how long it's been, probably four or five years. I kind of just cut out the used bikes and we pretty much do new stuff nowadays. Um, and prices have changed too over the years. We're used to, you had to spend a certain amount of money to get a new bike. Nowadays, things have changed, so new bikes are affordable. And we still do a few used bikes here and there if we come across cool vintage stuff or something nicer, but generally just new. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Aaron Newsom from the bike shop NOLA. They repair and sell bikes on Ferret Street. And Katie Schmidt from Passion Lily, the fair trade designer fashion store in the French Quarter. Katie, when I think of the kind of fashion, uh, you know, India and such, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's not very tight-fitting, the, the way it seems to be kind of blousy or whatever. But you've kind of changed that a little bit, right? Yeah, so my designs are, are Western style, inspired by Indian fabrics, I would say. Um, and that has been one of the challenges of working with our team in India, is that I give them a pattern and it's significantly different. Most tailors in India know how to make a sari top, for example. Um, but I'm sending them something that's very different and sometimes they look at it and even though I have numerous ways of explaining it, um, it's, there's still things that get lost in translation. <laughs> so I think they're, they're thinking, what is this market that wants to buy these very different kind of outfits, right? Yeah, and, um, but you know, at the same time, I've had conversations with my Indian team of how they, they were like, at the same time, they think that the Indian consumer would actually really like the passionly products if I just, for example, made the the dresses a little bit longer and, and modified them a little bit. Um, 
because in India there is um, fusion ware is, is really big, a mix of Western and Indian. And your um, your markets are all over the United States. Is that what we should Correct. be thinking? Aaron, when, when I'm thinking about bikes in New Orleans, I always think, first of all, all the bikes that are stolen, which is terrible. And then also, you know, if you in this climate, if you left the bike outside, some bad things would happen to it. Is that why you're in the price range you are? Uh, not necessarily. I think people are weary of certain prices because of theft. I've seen that for sure. Um, and definitely, you know, spending a lot of money, they're afraid it's going to get stolen or get ruined. Um, I mainly have just stuck to my price point because that's kind of what it seems to be, especially with the college kids in the neighborhood. They're here for a few years. They don't want. It. They're already spending a ton of money coming to school. They don't want to spend a ton on a bike. Um, and I've just, I've, I'm a believer that there's certain bikes for certain people, but your your general public, they, you know, they can get by with a bike in a certain price range um, as long as it's maintained. Uh, this city is definitely harder on bikes than other cities. There's more maintenance, oh, yeah. I about uh, more care. Things. Yes, so. It's back and forth, but generally I try to stick to that price point just, you know, to make it a, you know, reasonably priced product. Yeah, the, and Katie, um, when we're talking about doing business abroad, particularly in the kind of countries that make a lot of our clothing, sometimes we're kind of surprised, uh, I guess unless you were in your side of the business, is that like, for instance, in China, they're finding a lot of forced labor, for instance. How do you check that out? Well, our stitching unit is certified by the um, Fair Trade Labeling Organization. So there's somebody, an, uh, an external uh, organization that's going there and they do yearly checks and they're very rigorous. I mean, if they do anything that's not according to regulation, they'll be shut down. Um, but again, like I say, the relationships is the most important thing. Um, I think you can kind of when you meet somebody, get an idea of the type of person they are. And so I'm making sure that I'm working with good, honest people and doing those regular checkups as well. Riding a bike in New Orleans with drivers that just don't seem to get it, is that going to get better? I hope so. I think it has got better over the years. Um, from when I first moved down here till now, we definitely have a lot more bike lanes, bike share lanes, bike pass. It could be better. I think we're way far behind other, than other cities on that on that note. Uh, but we have good groups here that's working on it and doing their best they can. And um, we have made some we've made some progress. Um, but it's definitely you got to be careful here and you know hope hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> what and you know you see all over the city these white bikes that I, I guess means mm -hmm. that there was a fatality yes. over there. It's, it's, um, it makes you think. Yeah, and it's a lot more than you think, too. Katie, you've had a good business that was you know, predominantly uh, wholesale. What made you make the move to, uh, to get a bricks and mortar store? Is, there's so much involved in that. And I mean, did you just look at a big list of pros and cons and kind of go from there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I never did it for so long because it is, there's a lot of work, a lot of money involved. Um, I, what happened was I was actually looking for a new office space 
And this listing happened to come up in the French Quarter, and I have a friend um, named Beatrix Bell, who is actually my co-partner in the shop, and we had always, you know, oh, we'd love to have a shop in the French Quarter kind of thing, and she's been in business for 10, over 10 years. And I said, hey, what do you think? And it was one of those things where sometimes you make a decision and I just knew, I just knew it was the right decision. Um, and it's been a great opportunity for me to really merchandise the shop fully with passionately products and really show my full collection and, and tell a story. If you come into the shop, you'll see um, all the different colors, it kind of creates a color story and all the different patterns and silhouettes that we have. So they, they might not actually buy at the store, but they've been exposed to the, the line and maybe buy it somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, I would say they, I would say they buy at the store. Um, I mean, it definitely helps. I would say more likely is what's happening is people come and visit us at art markets and festivals, and then they'll head on over to um, the store to make a purchase or to our feet purse as well. Now, how was, uh, was it Kira was the first people to come in after Katrina, something like that? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. There was a juice spot beside the old bike shop location that was called Boku Bo uh, Juice. And I used to live on Robert Street, 2008-ish. Uh, and I remember when he opened and he sold, his big thing was he sold frozen watermelon popsicles, like fresh, uh, fresh juice and fresh juices. He did fresh juice snowballs. Um, the Cure was definitely right there after him, but I have to, I think I gotta give him the credit for that. And um, there was another place, Sarita's, I used to go there pretty often and eat. They were all three right around oh, the same. That's still there, right? Yep, they, uh, they're still there. It is, um, I'll say brave of you to, to do it back then. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't really, I didn't think about it like that. I just did it. Um, to be honest, sometimes I miss a little bit of the shadiness that used to be around <laughs> there. Um, that is very But, um, I mean, I'm amazed by what's happened. I'm very lucky to be there. You know, I would have never guessed what happened happened to the street but katie when you talk about you know all the fair trade and the organic cotton and all that the one thing that would would be on the other side and i don't know what you can do about it but it's uh, shipping and transportation um that's that's you know using up uh creating carbon and everything like that how do you how do you deal with that part it's just part of the um that's definitely something i've thought about a lot and something that kind of bothers me um but we do purchase carbon offsets, which help. We're not carbon neutral yet or carbon negative. Um, so that's that's the next step is um, it, it does cost a lot of money to have to, to truly be carbon um, negative or neutral to have an, an outside company come in and evaluate your company to see how many emissions you're being you're using and then and then purchase those offsets. But that's something a long term goal we'd like to do. Now, now you have an extra part to brag about because you know a guy that runs a bike shop. Very, <laughs> very. <laughs> Aaron, you're you're the bike shop Nola. Is that sort of like the Ohio State or? Yeah, we just. Um, my legal name is Ferret Street Bike Shop. I've always just called it the bike shop. I figured no matter what, people's gonna say the bike shop on so and so street. Um, I'm a plain and simple guy. That's why I thought I'd keep it simple. There are a lot of magical things about living in New Orleans. 
like being able to stroll around the French Quarter, get beignets, listen to music, and shop at a fair trade designer clothing store that sells exclusive but affordable fashion, and being able to saunter down Ferret Street, sample all kinds of foods from Creole to Greek, and go to a yoga class while you get your bike fixed. These aren't fantasy videos dreamed up by the people who run the Visit New Orleans Instagram account. This is how we live. In another city, maybe you wouldn't put a bike shop and a clothes store on a list of magical experiences, but other cities don't have the French Quarter or Ferret Street, and they don't have people like you, Katie and Aaron. You have chosen to live here. The businesses you've built and the lives you're living are all part of the simple, everyday reality that collectively is the magic of the city of New Orleans. Katie and Aaron, it is great to meet you. Thank you both for taking the time today to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Katie Schmidt, owner and designer of Passion Lily, and Aaron Newsom, owner and operator of the bike shop NOLA. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Katie's clothes and Aaron's bikes by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you here next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.